Did anybody, when you were young, do you ever try to run away from home? Three, four? Raise your hands higher. Let me see those hands. Come on. Yeah, a lot of us did this. I, I remember doing this. Um, it, it was kind of silly looking back, wasn't it? You thought you were going to go somewhere else. You know, the grass was greener on the other side, whatever the thing was. Uh, my wife, Elizabeth, when she was eight years old, she told her mom, matter-of-factly, hey, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to Denver. So she gets out a backpack. She's tiny, eight years old, super thin, tiny. And she gets out a backpack and starts packing it full of canned goods and, and full of water. <laughs> when she was done, it weighed like 50 pounds. And she sets off to walk over to Denver and made it to the end of the street. And what's funny about like my parents' generation, some of this, you, you remember this, like um, you weren't helicopter parents. So you're like, all right, go for it, right? We'll see how far they get. You would have let us go like five miles if we wanted to, but most of the time we only got down to the end of the street. Now, how many of you ran away, but you really had no plan what you, where you're going, right? If I could make an observation, when we tend to do this, the focus was always on what we were running away from, not so much on what we were running to. Correct? Normally, you didn't really have a very good plan. It was just you wanted to get away from your parents or you wanted to get more freedom, right? Now, if anybody in the room would like a chance to be really honest, uh, how many of you have at some point in your life run away from God? I'll raise my hand. I might tell you a story in the next week or two. And when I speak of running away from God, I don't, necess- I don't mean packing your bags and like heading out. What I mean is moving out in a direction that you know is other than what God has for you or remaining in a situation you know you shouldn't remain in. Maybe it comes as an action. Maybe it's like staying in a dating relationship that you know and wise counsel tells you, you know God wants you out of it. Maybe it's not fighting for a marriage relationship that you know God wants you in. Maybe it's purchasing something that you just have a sense and a feeling isn't right, but boy, is it shiny, and boy, do you want it. Maybe it's refusing to go in a direction that you really think God is leading you in. Maybe it's refusing to apologize or um, let go of bitterness or move to reconcile a relationship that you know God's calling you to reconcile. Maybe it's living an ongoing lie of some kind in your life. And if you have ever run from God, I think one of the things you notice really quick is it really affects your prayers, doesn't it? It's not that you never pray. I mean, you know, you still have some requests. There's just certain issues that you avoid because it's kind of awkward, isn't it? When you come in, you, you kind of quiet your heart. Um, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to talk to you about this thing. And you're like, Shh, I don't want to talk about that. And before you know it, it begins to impact your relationship with God because um, you find your prayer life kind of going down the drain. Uh, for many, they have a season or even years where you just kind of put church on the back burner. You hesitate coming to church because a guy gets up on a mic like right now and reminds you of some of these things. And you're like, did you read my mail? That's creepy. I wouldn't do that. But some of you, you know this experience, and and because of that, you end up sort of disconnecting from community, disconnecting from some of the things that remind you of the thing you're trying to avoid. For some, even, they go as far, and perhaps you have a family member, 
um, that's struggling with right now, that they just kind of go to the point of, of sort of deciding there is no God, or at least not the biblical God that, that you grew up with. And it allows you to sort of tune down your conscience and all those things that are bothering you and sort of like go the direction you want without feeling too guilty about it. What I want to do over the next three weeks is we're going to look at this uh, really amazing little book of the Bible. We're going to wake, work our way through the account of one of the most famous people who ran from God. And we're going to see how it can help us avoid unnecessary pain and regret in life. And most importantly, here's the most important thing. It's going to help us understand some of the things about the heart of God that we often get wrong, especially when we run from him. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to dive in starting in uh, the book of Jonah, chapter one, verse one. And I'm going to read the first verse and then we're going to talk a little bit and set it up. So here we go. It says this, the word of the Lord. And when you see Lord capitalized like that in some of the versions of the Bible, it's usually the, the proper, the revealed name of God from back in Exodus, Exodus 3, YHWH, Yahweh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So the word of the Lord comes. Listen, in Hebrew, this is a, a standard way of saying God is getting ready to talk to his servant or talk to a prophet. And we meet this guy, Jonah. His name means like a dove, peace, a messenger of God's peace. So he's, he, his name is Jonah, and he is a Old Testament prophet. And Old Testament prophets, they were people who listened to the voice of God and then did what God said, and oftentimes that meant taking the word of God to other people. And as we've been talking about, one of the roles of a true disciple that we're encouraging us all to continue to move into is a, a responsive follower. And a responsive follower is someone who daily seeks God's direction in prayer, in scripture, and then chooses to obey. Who's constantly on a, on a lifelong journey of learning more and growing closer, but not just learning and stuffing our brains full of knowledge, but actually following what God is leading us and directing us to. And many of these Old Testament prophets, they had a very tough assignment. They were sent into troubled areas to really bad kings to tell those powerful kings and people in power exactly the thing they did not want to hear, but exactly what they needed to hear. Now, I think when it comes to this, how many of you have heard the name Jonah before you, you came in here today? Okay, m most of you. Most of you grew up in church. How many of you thought of a VeggieTales song as soon as I, Jonah was a prophet? Ooh, ooh, no? You either didn't have kids or you don't remember being a kid and watching VeggieTales. There's a VeggieTales song. But here's the thing. I think we're kind of hard on Jonah oftentimes. Because if you, to, to understand the, the prophet Jonah, basically Old Testament prophets had it pretty hard, but and they were called to go to their own people who had a shared worldview generally and a general concept of who the one true God was and the fact that his word meant something, right? But Jonah, he's called to go to the city of Nineveh, a powerful city in the empire of Assyria. It was about 500 miles away. If you remember um, last month from our Isaiah series, Assyria is the reigning superpower of the world. It's the epicenter of cruelty and idol worship in the world at this point. 
And to begin to understand why Jonah ran, you have to know a little bit about Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Number one, it was Israel's worst enemy. In fact, all these small nations around there, it was like the bane of the ancient world. And they were known for their brutal treatment of their enemies and for resettling whole populations and taking them off to some far-flung place of the, of the world. But Nineveh, one of the most famous things that it was famous for, it had a trademark. You know, like some places are famous for something. Honolulu, city of Honolulu, famous for its beaches, right? Well, Nineveh, they were famous because they have perfected the art of skinning prisoners alive and keeping them alive while they did it. Nineveh, famous for its skinnings. How many want to volunteer to go there and deliver some hard news, right? And Jonah was asked to go and warn them of God's impending judgment. But we see he ran, ran away from the Lord. Jonah ran away from the Lord. So Jonah runs. Why does he run? Why does he run? Is it fear? Actually, I, I think you're going to see in a minute that he's actually quite courageous at times. Is, is he lazy? No, actually, the course he chooses is much harder. Does he just hate the Ninevites? And in, in, the, in the account of Jonah, we're actually not told yet why he runs. But when we talk about Jonah, before we uh, go, go on, I just want to address something real quick. Because oftentimes you hear the name Jonah, and for many that maybe grew up in church, or for some that you just are sort of checking out God, church, and the Bible, and if that's you, we're really glad you're here. But you, you hear Jonah, like, really? In the year 2024, a tale of a giant fish swallowing a guy? Seriously? And for some of you, you just can't swallow the tail. <laughs> so I just want to talk to you for just a second. So two things. Number one, in, in the Hebrew, this this book is amazing. It's like a literary masterpiece. It's actually written kind of like a Shakespearean comic tragedy. So you have all these parallels. You don't see it as well in the English. I'll try to highlight some of the things as we go along. But when it comes to Jonah, and here, here's why I think it's important to take Jonah very seriously, is because Jesus referred to Jonah as a historical figure. Jesus talks about him. In fact, Jesus will come along and he will compare his own death and resurrection to the miracle of what happens to Jonah, to the sign of what happens to Jonah. And let me just say this. If you struggle with, um, you know, swallowing the tail and all that, um, let me just say, if you're here and you, in, in sort of a general broad concept, believe that there's a God who created everything, let me just ask you, honestly, is it such a... Is it such a far leap to believe that uh, he, God somehow figured out how to keep this guy alive for three days? Now, there's plausible explanations as I've studied this from, you know, history, and some of them involve, like, great white sharks, which is kind of terrifying, swallowing people, right? But there's plausible explanations of how this could happen naturally. But really, let me say, unless you're here and you're just a complete dedicated atheist, um, and if that's you, then you believe that sort of everything that exists came from nothing— and I think that actually takes a greater amount of faith. Or for some of you, I know you think we're just like life was planted here from another galaxy somewhere in the universe far away. And um, if that's you, um, let me just say uh, you're just kicking the can down the road, right? Aliens planted us there. Okay, you're just kicking the can down the road. Ultimately, there had to be an ultimate cause. What was the ultimate cause? 
What, what, what caused everything? You either believe in something out of nothing or an eternal God who created everything out of nothing. And if there is an eternal God who created everything, including a universe that is so vast that we cannot even comprehend the number. Have you ever seen? I, I don't have the number, but it's like, I don't know, five with 24 zeros. Five to the 24 zeros, light years but traveling at the speed of light just to get across it. I mean, you can't even comprehend the number, much less the vastness of the universe. If there's really a God who came, if, if Jesus came and he predicted his own death and resurrection and he was in a grave for three days, which then he compares to Jonah and he rises from the dead, that's a miracle. By definition, our faith believes in a God who acts, who is above the laws of nature, who created them, but who acts within them. So, we believe in the miraculous, right? But let me just say, if, uh, if you can't get there, even if you can't get there in the, in the account, don't miss the point. Because even if you think maybe this was just like one of Jesus' parables to make a point, the point is highly relevant to all of us because it teaches us so much about ourselves and about the God we tend to run from. And so it goes on, the account goes on, it says this, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, just to give you some reference for this, this would be like you driving to Los Angeles and purchasing a ticket to New Zealand, like literally the farthest flung place you can think of traveling to. This is exactly what Jonah did. I'll show you a little map. So Nineveh, where God tells him to go, is about 500 miles up off the map, sort of there to the, uh, to the northeast. He, sails, he gets on a boat to sail 2,200 miles away to one of the, far, the farthest city in the coastal trade routes, Tarshish, on the coast of Spain. He's trying to get as far away from what God told him to do as he can get. He couldn't have taken a commercial vessel any further. Now, you may have never gotten on a boat to run away from the place that God, you felt God was calling you to, but maybe you can identify a little bit with Jonah. I think we've all had days or weeks or chapters in our lives where we said, I know what I ought to do. I know what God would have me do, but I'm just not going to do it. Why do we run from God? I think for many of us, we're just afraid of missing out on something good. We, we have something com confused in our mind that says that, that the thing I want is the good thing, whether it's a, you know, a, a relationship thing or maybe something in our, in our moral lives, the way we treat our sexuality, and we think the thing we want, God's keeping us from the thing we want that's actually a, a good thing, when actually the scriptures teach us what God has for us is our joy. Jesus said, I came to give them life and life in abundance. That actually, we, we think the thing we're pursuing that we want, which is often the thing we know God's telling us, don't, don't go down that road, is actually the thing that's going to bring us joy. And we keep trying to pursue those things so often times to our own expense and our own pain, right? Sometimes we just confuse a bad experience we've had with, with people who claim the name, name of God. Anybody ever been hurt or um, mistreated by another Christian? Unfortunately, yes. It happens. Sometimes we confuse a bad experience in church with God, and we put the two together. Sometimes we just don't believe God has our best in mind. 
We think we know what's best, and we don't think he has our best in mind. Sometimes life is disappointing, isn't it? If you've lived any length of time, you know that. And we've confused life with God. In fact, Philip Yancey, who's a famous uh, author, he writes about this. He's like, sometimes we tend to think that life should be fair. We think God should be fair, life should be fair. But God and life are very different. And when I confuse the reality of, of life by expecting, you know, constant good health in my life, everything's always going to go smoothly, I set myself up for incredible disappointment. And oftentimes that disappointment is directed back at God. Now, when it comes to running from God, actually, we all think we are, we are very unique, don't we? Because your mom told you you were a unique, unique snowflake. and Every one of you, very individual. It's true, we're all made in the image of God. We're all unique. He's, given us, he's made us differently. But as a member of the human race... We all have some common things when it comes to the way we resist God. There's some real commonalities. Your experience is not as unique as you think. And I made a few observations about people who tend to run from God. One of those is people who run often run in risky directions. Do you notice that? Jonah gets in a boat. And this isn't like getting on, you know, Norwegian cruise lines, um, where if you've been, I've been on some small boats out in some choppy water terrifying, right? Uh, so I've been like, I think next time I want to get on a larger boat. This isn't Norwegian cruise lines. These ships on the storms would come up quickly on the Mediterranean. These ships would break up all the time. This was a very risky thing at this time in history. In fact, you remember Paul, one of his experiences, one of the things he kind of bragged a little bit about, um, the things he'd experienced for, for God was what? I've been shipwrecked. So he had experienced this, and uh, Jonah runs in a very risky direction. He gets onto a boat. It, it's not a safe environment. Think of it this way. If you were physically, like if you knew you were physically running from God, like God's over here, you're going to run from God, you would probably choose a safe place to run to, wouldn't you? You wouldn't go skydiving. You probably wouldn't go rappelling at that moment, although rappelling is pretty safe. Um, actually, I remember one time I went rock climbing. My brother was into rock climbing, and I was kind of into it in, in high school as well. And, but he really got into it and got into the kind. There's two kinds of rock climbing. One is uh, sport climbing where you set a really good, like, bolt in the rock and multiple anchors. And we'd do this, like, up at Camp Red Cloud where you'd have, like, three anchor points, and you're on belay, and it's, and it's uh, you know, super safe. So that's one kind. And then there's this other kind called trad climbing or pro climbing. And this is where you go up a rock like a crack or something and you place these little metal devices, cams and little things in the cracks in the rock. And then you climb up above your anchors and you fall, which you do inevitably, you trusting your anchor to catch you, but you fall from like twice the distance. So if your anchor's here, you fall from here down to here. Terrifying. Some of you do. Anybody do this? Some of you do this. Yeah, there's some crazy people in here. Um, so my brother was into this. And so we go out, we set up this climb in the monument. And, uh, and he leads the climb and he gets up and there's this one crux move, the hard move on the climb. And he just, he tries it and he keeps falling and blo he blows his arms out where he's like, I can't keep going. And so he comes down, he has me lower him down. And he's like, you got to go up. I've got too much gear in that rock. You got to go up finish the climb so we can pull all my gear. And, and uh, I'm like, I'm not going up. 
He's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> so I end up going up. He talks me into it. And I remember getting up to that last, that, like that move, and I was terrified. And there was no way. I, I mean, I grabbed that rock, like practically pulled my fingernails off, pulled myself up over the ledge, made the move, and uh, never did track climbing again since then. But you think you would go somewhere really safe if you were running from God, right? But would you really? Many of you didn't, did you? You ran into a marriage that people advised you against or that you knew God was saying, hey, be careful. Don't go there. You ran into a relationship that, that wise advice said, hey, take it slower, right? You ran into a habit. You ran into um, consumer debt that just buried you. You ran into a self-destructive lifestyle when you chose to run from God. Young people, you ran from your parents' advice, probably, into something. Let me just say, if you are a young person in the room, oftentimes the tendency is to run from your parents' advice into something that if you just stop and be honest, you know, even now, it's not a wise decision. It's not a smart decision. And see, when people come back from running, they always come back with emotional pain, with relational scars, with financial burdens, just the way life works. We think we're going to run to safety. We always end up running in self-destructive ways. And so verse 4 says this, and this is great news, because it says, and the Lord, and the Lord. God is still there. He's still active. In spite of Jonah running, God is still there. But look at what this means in the situation. It says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Let me just make an observation. Sometimes in your life, when you choose to go the direction that you know is counter to the direction God's leading you in, when you choose to run, sometimes you just, God just kind of lets you go down your path and says, okay, we'll see how that goes. And sometimes you just bear the natural outcome of poor decisions, bad habits, destructive behaviors. Some of you are, are experiencing that now. I told you last week, I spent... 10 years digging out of some really dumb debt I got into in my 20s, trying to finance a recording an album on a, on a credit card. Not a good idea. <laughs> Wasn't smart. So sometimes it's just the natural outflow of, of behaviors, right? And you can go, yep, A plus B equals C. Now, sometimes... God actually puts circumstances and situations in your life in order to get your attention. He's, you've heard this phrase, he's more committed to your character than your comfort. And sometimes God places things in our lives to get our attention, to, to help us wake up and go, oh, hold on, maybe I need to turn around, maybe I need to course correct. So the Lord sends a great wind. Verse 5 says this, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. These guys were a bunch of pagans from a bunch of different countries. They worshipped a bunch of different, uh, you know, spiritual beings or whatever that were represented by different idols that they thought had the power to save them. So everybody's freaking out, crying out to all their idols, and it says they threw the cargo. This is how scared they were. These were sailors, experienced Dudes who made their living trading things, trading cargo, taking it from one place to the other and selling it. 
And they're so terrified that they begin to throw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. In other words, their hope of profit out the, out the window, right? But Jonah, listen up. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. He fell down into a deep sleep. I, I find so many interesting parallels between Jonah and some of the things we see in the Gospels, like Jesus. Remember Jesus? He's in a boat in a storm. And why is he in a deep sleep? He's in a deep sleep in a storm because he's in the center of God's will. Right? He's at peace. His disciples are freaking out. <laughs> but he's at peace. In this situation, Jonah's in a deep sleep because he's not in the center of God's will. He knows he's exactly where he's not supposed to be. And the commonality I see in people who, who run from God is that when you run from God, you often are prone to denial, distraction, and ultimately depression. Denial. Oftentimes, people who run from God are the last to recognize the connection between the chaos in their lives and between the fact that they ran from God and between the pain they create for themselves and those closest to them, right? They're the last to see, the last to admit. Oftentimes, there's someone else in their life going, hey, hey, have you put together the dots? And, 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 and if you're in this situation, it's so easy just to be in denial about it, isn't it? Oftentimes, we just run into distractions. See, he's going to Tarshish. Now, this is on the coastline of Spain, way far away. Maybe it was like the Ibiza of 3,000 years ago, and there's like some, some really cool, like, some raves and stuff he wants to go to. You guys are pretty quiet. Saturday thought that was funny. They're more awake. I, I don't know, but the fact is we go to distraction, don't we? We find ourselves prone to distraction. See, here's the thing about Tarshish. I think there's a reason why he chose to go to Tarshish, literally to the farthest, farthest flung place he could go, because he knew this was a culture that, that didn't worship God. He could go there and not constantly be reminded of God. He knows he can't escape the will of God, but he thinks he can go to a place where he can try to forget him. And for so many, they go, this is why they go to habits, things that numb that voice, that constant sense of uneasiness in their life. They go to self-destructive behaviors because there's a constant voice saying, hey, pay attention to this, and we, we push it down. In fact, I think we have a song about that, Wasting Away in Margaritaville. Remember that? There's like a whole, whole thing. For others, it means it's really stepping away from community. Oftentimes, it's like that thing of just staying away from church, right? Stepping out of a community because the community of believers, you have some people around you that, you know, are, are kind of speaking in there. And it's just that constant reminder that the path you're on isn't bringing you to, to, to God. And we have a habit of distracting ourselves by separating from community in our life or separating from the community of faith. And for so many, they, they go into depression and when the interesting thing is you look at like the whole structure of the book of Jonah, it's this downward spiral, and then God ends up bringing him back up. But he's on a spiral going down. And what I see in Jonah's life is he, he makes a very poor decision, a very rebellious, a very poor decision. And we'll look at some of the reasons behind that as we go on. 
But he had an area in his life where he blew it and he thought running away would make it better and running away doesn't make it better. It just exhausts him even more. And some of you have been in a situation like that where you have a, where, where maybe some of you are in that right now where you blew it in an area of life, but instead of just turning back around and coming to God, you just kept going down a spiral and you find yourself in a place where you're exhausted and depressed. It's not going well. Your, your emotional health, is, is, it's not there. And so he sleeps away in this moment. And then in verse 6, this is his first opportunity. He gets a wake-up call. Check this out. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The captain comes down to this place he's spiraled down to as he goes down to Joppa, as he purchases a, a ship, and then he goes down into the depth of the ship. And we know, if you know the story, he's going to go down into the depths. This is an opportunity. This is a wake-up call. This is a chance, an invitation to, to get out of that cycle, to repent. Repent literally means turn around. Turn around. To come up from the depths of depression, to step back into health and life, to begin the journey of following God all over again. Let me just say, some of you, you have some voices in your life. Pay attention to the voices in your life. Because we need reminders sometimes. We need people who encourage us. Some of you, that's why community is so important. That you have people in your life, you can, you can share some of the struggles you're going through. It's so important. Because life is hard. Isn't it? Because it's so easy to find ourselves, even if you're not running away from God, it's so easy to find yourselves in a place where, where just the weight and the burden of life leaves you in a place where you're exhausted, where you're depressed. I, I can tell you, I mean, I, I love pastoring this congregation. I love y'all. There's some weeks where it's really hard. There's some weeks where I got to get up and I was like, okay, I got to get up and speak again. <laughs> Oh, that's the passage this week. Oh, great. Hadn't gone that great in my family this week. Now I get to come tell you what to do. Great. And then there's something like in James about being judged more harshly. <laughs> I don't need that. There's sometimes when it's hard or I'm struggling where, where the emotions around this whole thing. If you, you know, some of you are in different areas of leadership in, in different areas and, and you, you get that, right? And let me just say, I, a number of, a couple years ago, um, I was, we were teaching actually through Colossians, and there was this one really random sort of obscure verse at the end of this book where Paul says, hey, he's, he speaks specifically to this one guy. He's like, hey, remind so-and-so, see to it that you complete the ministry you've been given in the Lord. And man, that struck me at a really deep place because I know we need reminders in our life. I took that little verse and I put it and I have it pop up on my phone every three months. And almost invariably, every time it does, I'm like, it's at a point where I'm going, okay, I needed that reminder this week. Keep going. Pursue the thing he's called you to. Don't give up. See to it that you complete what he's done. See, you need a wake-up call sometimes. And this is Jonah's wake-up call, but he isn't ready yet. He isn't ready to turn around yet. And so he comes back up. He comes onto deck. He starts acting like he's praying. Because, <laughs> you know, 
when you're running away from God, you're not really like, you're avoiding things, right? Oh God, please save this ship when he knows I, it's probably my fault. So I think he's over there just sort of like, you know, in the position, he's kneeling down, he's acting like he's praying, but he's not really. And then it gets worse. Verse seven, it says, then the sailors said to each other, so they, they have the recognition, this is not just some normal natural storm. We've been in some normal natural storms. Something's weird about this storm. They're very superstitious. So it says, come, let us cast lots. This is their way of like drawing straws a couple thousand years ago. Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Go figure. <laughs> He's like, oh, seriously? So they asked him, they grill him. Check this out. They ask him like rapid fire. Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? They grill him, asking him questions. He doesn't want to answer. When they ask him, what, what kind of work do you do? I think he hesitates because he, he knows he's a prophet of God, but he doesn't want to be a prophet of God after what God called him to do. God called him to go to Nineveh. He's like, I'm out. I don't want to be a prophet anymore. I want to go to Tarshish. That sounds kind of nice. The beach? I do a little beach. He, but he answers. He knows who he serves. So here's how he answers. He says, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I think as he's saying, and the dry land, he's thinking, the dry land. Why didn't I stay on the dry land? <laughs> and check out what, the, uh, what they say. It says, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? It says they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. They're like, are you crazy, man? So, so hold on, let me get this straight, Jonah. You worship the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The, and you ran away from him on a boat? What are you thinking? Are you crazy? And so in verse 11, it says this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Like, this is your fault, man. What do we do? They were probably thinking, like, here, give me 15 lashes on the back. That should do it, you know. Offer up some sort of sacrifice. Appease the God of the sea. And here's what he says. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault this great storm has come upon you. Let me just say, it's interesting as you read this little passage. And I kind of had a different, I've read this before, and I kind of had a different insight into it, I think, as I was reading it this week. I, I don't, like, there's a couple takes on this, right? Like, number one, I do think there was something in him that knows this whole thing was his fault, and now his life is putting these other guys' lives in jeopardy. And so there, there's something noble. He still has a sense of, I will sacrifice myself so these guys can live. I think that is there, but yet not quite. Not quite. 
Because there's this thing, I think there's this depression thing going on, and he's in such a low point. He's hit rock bottom. He just wants to end it all. He thinks he's blown it so bad. I feel for Jonah in this moment. Because he, he makes a decision here, and there's an unintended consequence of his decision. He is putting his blood on their hands. I don't think he thinks this through. He's saying, you take me. I, he doesn't have the strength to throw himself into the sea, but he's like, you take me. You throw me into the sea. And he's going to end up putting his blood on their hands. And let me just say, when we are low, when we are in a, depressed like this, we often make decisions that most hurt other people that we love, don't we? Let me just speak to this because I know in a room this size, there's people that are struggling or have struggled or you have a family member that's struggling with this, and especially young people. Listen up. Self-harm and self-destruction is never the answer. All you're doing is taking the pain that you feel and placing it on someone else that you really actually love. Instead, it's crying out to God. It's getting the help you need. It's being vulnerable when you begin to feel those feelings. And so he's in this place. And I find it interesting that there's no indication in the scripture of the obvious thing when they ask, what should we do? If you know this story, you know, Jesus talks about it, what Nineveh does. <laughs> what is Nineveh going to do? They're going to turn around and repent. Literally turn around, cry out to God for mercy. But there's no indication. See, I think he's in such a low spot. And he's so, he knows he's blown it so bad. The prophet of God getting on a ship to run away from God. And, and what we're going to learn is he, under, he has an understanding of the grace of God. But here's what I think. He has an understanding of the grace of God for others, but he doesn't apply it to himself. He can't have any grace for himself. The grace of God for others, oh yeah, God's going to be compassionate on people that don't deserve it, but on his own servant who blew it. There's no, there's no indication that he pauses and goes, well, why don't we just do the obvious thing? Let, let's, let me just pray a prayer, repent, turn the boat around. It, it'll work out. And you know what I believe? It would have. He, if he had repented and said, oh, God, I am, forgive me. I will go back. I will turn around. This is my wake-up call. Guess what? I think it would have done that exact thing, in my opinion. But there's no indication, and he's not able to go there because he's in such a low place, and he has a wrong idea of God, the heart of God, that I've blown it, I've gone too far. God is a God of compassion for others, but he, not for me. He wrongly judges the character of God when it comes to himself. So the guys, he tells them to do this, and they're like, nope, no way. We're not throwing a prophet of the God of the land and sea into the ocean. Uh-uh, bad advice, dude. We're not going to take that kind of risk. Have your blood on our hands. And so they try to row back to land, but the storm just keeps going. Jonah hasn't repented. He hasn't turned around. It says they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord. 
They have a recognition, okay, we have no choice, but they cry out to the Lord. They said, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Lord, this is, he told us to. This storm is clearly unnatural. So they pray for forgiveness, and they heave him over the side. And then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. The raging sea grew calm. And, and here's what I love about this. Even in his disobedience, God uses the life of his prophet Jonah to win other people to him. God can take even the situations that got you into the hard place you're in, and he can still use your life for incredible glory for him and for his kingdom. Because check out their response. It says this. The, the men greatly feared the Lord. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Cody Davis talking about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We heard from two or three different voices on, on New Year's, New Year's Eve. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and humility go together. And it says, in this moment, they feared the Lord greatly. They worshiped the Lord. They, they gave reverence to the one true God, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. That even in this, they recognized the hand of God, and it turned their hearts to God. Verse 17. And this was also, <laughs> first couple times when it says, now the Lord, God takes action. And Jonah, as he's drifting down in the, in, in the sea, beginning to sink, says this, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord provided. Now again, Jonah probably would have preferred a Coast Guard helicopter with one of those cool like rescue lines. That would be my first choice. But God knew he hadn't gotten to rock bottom yet. He hadn't had a recognition and a moment of repentance. And I'm going to read verse 1 of chapter 2. And I'm going to invite Winston to come back up as we get ready to close here. Chapter 1, or verse 1 of chapter 2 says this, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I bet he did. See, Jonah discovers the truth in this moment. You, you can try to outrun God, but you can't outrun him. But here's the, here's the shocking thing, and here's the beautiful thing that we're going to discover next week, is this, that God pursues us, not because he's trying to pay us back, but in order to bring us back to him. God pursues us in order to bring us back to him. See, both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach what was, that what was true of Jonah is true of you and I as well. And that's that, that Jesus, as he talks about our God, he refers to our God as a loving Heavenly Father. Not your picture of your father, as, as good as some of you had fathers that were great fathers, as others of you that struggled so much with that relationship and, and, and the things that your father did. But your perfect, loving Heavenly Father who cares for you. And Proverbs teaches us, it says this, my son, 
When it comes to God, he says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those that he loves as a father, the son he delights in. See, sometimes God pursues you, but the heart of God, when he brings correction, when he brings new direction into your life, when he brings a storm into your life sometimes, or allows the consequences of the direction you're going to play out. The reason he's doing that is to get you your attention, to give you a wake-up call, to give you a chance to return to him. For some of you, that looks like embracing him for the first time. And the wake-up call is you've sort of been church-adjacent your whole life, but you've never really followed Jesus. The invitation for you is to come to him, to trust in him. You've been trying just to keep good enough to be in his good graces. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we're all Jonah. We're all Jonah. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's embracing what he did for us when he died and rose again, just like he says. He compares what he would do on the cross in the grave and the resurrection. He compares it to the sign of Jonah. See, God pursues you for the sake of relationship, to bring you to him, not to pay you back, to bring you to him. And God is patient sometimes, it's not so much that he, he's pursuing us, it's that he waits for us. He's patient with us. See, Jesus tells us an incredible, incredible story. It's a parable. I'm sure you've heard it. It's the story of the prodigal son. Where the father in this story is pictured, represents God. And there's this, his younger son that represents and can represent all of us as the human race that rebel and turn away. Literally, the younger son says, give me my inheritance now, which means in that culture, I wish you were already dead. And then he takes it and he goes and he blows his inheritance on partying and prostitutes. A disgrace to his father. And then the shocking thing is he's telling the story to a bunch of religious people who the son comes back as he wakes up literally like eating pig slop to try to stay alive and thinks, man, my, my father's servants having a bunch better than I do. And he comes back, he's, he makes up this whole like story of how he's going to like earn it back with his father. I'll be your servant, not worthy. And his father sees him at a distance. And he hikes up his robe, something a respectable man wouldn't do. And he runs to his son. And before he can even get his story out, his father embraces him and throws a party because his son, who was once lost, is now found. That's the heart of our father. That's the heart of your father. And if you're running right now, your father is looking for you. You may not yet be looking for him, but he loves you too much to quit looking and waiting.
Some of you, you're, you're in a situation that feels a lot like one of these then the Lord events in your life. There's been some disappointment. There's been some storms. Here's what you got to know in that he's pursuing you. Not to pay you back. To win you back to him. Would you stand? We're going to sing this song. This familiar course we sing around here about our heart of our God. And then it'll come back up and close this. But as we do, maybe the thing you've been carrying, the area you've been, you've been running, what if you take that to him right now? For some, that means calling out to him for the first time. Let's sing.